Welcome to Zephyr Podcast Sessions, where we bridge the gap between industries and discuss the secrets to rapid subscription growth. In today's podcast, our Director of Finance, Jamie Walker, interviews Ray Arife, Head of Data Protection at Avalian, to discuss all things data privacy and keeping up with compliance. Hello, my name is Jamie Walker. I'm Finance Director at Zephyr. Today we'll be interviewing Ray Arife, who is Head of Data Protection at Avalian, about data protection. Hi Ray, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, Jamie. Um, can, can you tell us a bit more about your background, your career path, how you got to your position today? Yeah, sure. So I started my legal career in 2014. I originally trained at a regional law firm in Newcastle called Ward Hadaway. So training tends to last two years you do a number of seats in, in various departments and then you'll progress to a chosen area which you want to practice in going forward after that two years i actually left ward hadaway in 2016 and went to newcastle building society where i started as a commercial contracts lawyer in their in-house legal team and it was in 2016 just before the GDPR was coming into force, I actually saw this opportunity to develop and progress my skills. And one thing about data protection is that it's a very complex area of law. There's very there's very many ways where you can view it in terms of legislation, how you interpret the legislation, approaches to risk. So I, there was an opportunity to join a Valiant in 2020 so I took that opportunity to work with like-minded individuals who are also privacy professionals as well. So you can bounce ideas off them. So that was 2020 and that, well, it's cliche, but you can say the rest is history. And I've been with the Valiant now for just over two years. Cool. Um, can you give me a brief overview of data privacy, protection and ethical use? Yeah, so data protection is very much about ensuring people can trust how you're going to use their data and make sure they use it fairly and responsibly. In the UK, the key legislation is the UK GDPR. It's very much focused on principles, making sure that you're going to be transparent about how you're going to use an individual's data. You need to build trust with your consumers. You want to make sure that you're providing privacy notices at the right time. It's making sure that you can allow individuals to access their information as well. And in terms of ethics, again, it's going back to that point around what is right, what's fair, and making sure that you communicate the purposes of of how you're going to use an individual's information. And if you think about the way that technology has advanced over the years, that's very much what the law is trying to govern, is trying to ensure that the law keeps a pace with technological advancements. I think back to when I was a child playing computer games. Um, there was no such thing as the internet. Now you have kids playing with children all over the world and using using all sorts of devices, which are all using vast amounts of personal information. So it's important that the laws and guidance govern how this information is used so that this data is treated fairly. 
Yeah, it's amazing how quickly things, these things have changed, haven't they? Just within our lifetime, things have just changed so dramatically um, in, in this sort of online world. Um, why is data privacy more important than ever? I think just touching on what you just said there, Jamie, around how it, things have changed so much, if you think about artificial intelligence, ad tech, how, how businesses are trying to communicate with, with their customer base, whether it's subscriptions for media companies, we need to be making sure that the way that we use personal data, the way that we analyze information is fair. I even think about my daughter. We have an Alexa in the house and she uses that. That will be collecting her personal data. So we need to be thinking about children and how their personal data is being used as well. In my opinion, I, I feel like the GDPR almost lit a fuse from a regulatory and legislation standpoint. Now we've got similar legislation in Brazil, in China. Now you have the CCPA in California. So the, the GDPR is almost viewed as a gold standard in legislation. So I think that privacy has become so important because one of the legislation, but also because people have become more aware of what their actual rights are. I see it all the time in my day-to-day, whether that's claims that have been made by individuals because their data has been shared incorrectly or by mistake, or there's been some sort of dispute between an employer and an employee and, and they're making a claim because of that. And I think that that's one of the key things is that the GDPR really enhanced individuals' rights. It brought new rights such as the right to data portability, rectification, and empowering individuals to understand and have more access to their information. So it's, it's important now that businesses get, get how they approach their data protection. It's important that they get it right and make sure that they've got robust measures in place to ensure that they protect individuals' personal data. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you've mentioned GDPR a few times. Um, just so we can understand a bit better, what are the key differences in data protection between Europe and the States? So I'd say that it's very difficult to compare how data protection is viewed in Europe and how it's viewed in the States, just in terms of we have the UK GDPR and the EU GDPR, which cover all the member states in the UK. The EU GDPR covers all the member states in Europe, and then you have the UK GDPR, which governs how data is processed in the UK, whereas in the US, there's no federal law which applies across all of the US. You have individual state laws, and not all states in America have privacy laws, and it's very much um, sector-driven as well in the US. So I'd say that it's very much the actual framework are very, very different. Also, class actions are very much more prevalent in the US. We did have Google versus Lloyd in the UK, but that didn't get anywhere, and, and that was thrown out of the courts. But class actions are, 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 is definitely more of a US thing, but we're seeing it coming to the fore in the UK. But also say around how the supervisory authorities act in, in the US. We've seen some huge fines. Facebook was fined around $5 billion US dollars by the FTC, so the Federal Trade Commission. That was a couple of years ago. Whereas we've seen 
large fines in the UK. For instance, there was the BA and Marriott fines that we saw a few years ago. But when the ICO actually issued, issued the notice to fine those organisations, BAs was around £180 million pounds and Marriott's was around £100 million. But in the end, those fines were actually reduced to BAs was 20 and Marriott's was around £18 million. Pounds. So drastically reduced. So I would say that it almost seems that super, the supervisory authorities in the US are more willing to issue really significant fines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so you mentioned there's, there's different frameworks. Is there is there a fundamental difference between them or are they just different interpretations of the same kind of issues? No, I, I would say that I I would say that there's that they're very different. I would say that culturally in the US it seems like there's less understanding as well around privacy. The the UK GDPR and EU GDPR cover significant aspects of data protection in terms of legal requirements, how data is going to be processed, and consent seems to be one of the real, like one of the key ways within the US how data will be processed, whereas there's six different lawful bases in the in the UK and EU GDPR which allow you to process personal data. So I would say that the framework's very different in the sense that it's very much more sectorial. You have different legislation that applies to different sectors in the US as opposed to having an overarching piece of legislation. So, interesting. Um, are there any cases you know about where perhaps data consent and data handling weren't managed in the best way? So a significant case this year was Clearview AI and the ICO fined Clearview £90 million. Pounds. So what Clear, Clearview do is they hold a database of facial images and they're collected from publicly accessible sources such as social social um, media platforms and the company offers a search service that allows individuals to be identified based on biometric data extracted from these facial images and they were deemed to be processing data unlawfully and without a valid legal basis so that I mean, this this just stresses the importance, especially when you're processing sensitive information such as biometric data, that you have to have a valid lawful basis. So for any processing of personal data under legislation in the UK and EU, you have to have a valid legal basis to process personal information. So it's really important as an organisation that before you embark on any sort of personal data processing, you think about what's the context of what you're going to be doing and what your legal basis is going to be as well. Another significant fine last year, and we all use WhatsApp, was the Irish DPA fined WhatsApp 225 million euros. And that was, again, for not having appropriate consent and then also for not providing sufficient information to it's data subjects when collecting the information. So you you all have seen privacy notices. It's important to make sure that your privacy notices set out exactly how you're going to be processing that individual's data that you're collecting. And one of the issues in what WhatsApp were doing is they were actually capturing consent 
to search users' contacts, but they were also searching contacts that didn't actually use WhatsApp as well. So obviously this is a huge contravention of somebody's privacy and it's no surprise that they receive such a, a large fine. That's very interesting. So it's not just a case of we've got you to tick the box saying it's okay to collect your data, then we're okay. You actually have to justify what you're using the data for and make sure it's a legitimate purpose. Yeah, yeah. so when you're capturing consent, it's not just a case of having a tick box there. You actually have to make it clear to the individual what they're going to be consenting to. So that yeah. there should be sufficient consent wording next to any sort of tick box which will allow an individual to understand, all right, this is how my personal data is going to be used by you. It's really important. It's one of the key. I would say that a lot of the time, organizations get things wrong because they're not transparent about what they do. Arguably, even if it's not the fairest practice, at least at the very, very most, if you're transparent and you provide that information to individuals and you give them an opportunity to to see that information at the right time before you start processing their personal data. It's going to be much harder for a supervisor or authority to say to a business, you haven't been transparent about how you're going to process an individual's information. Sure. Um, what would you describe as a robust data security strategy? I would say it's really important to think about how you're going to approach your personal data capture from the outset and adopting a holistic approach. So it's thinking about your people, your systems, your environment, so your your physical environment and the third parties that you engage to support you with your personal data processing. So it's about thinking about the organizational measures that you're, you're going to implement, so your policies and your procedures. Also, what technical measures are you going to implement? So if you're a media company, for instance, and you're providing subscriptions, making sure that at the outset of that data capture, that if you're going to be collecting consent to market to individuals, that you provide clear consent and there's a tick box which allows you to opt in to receive marketing. And then it's not just capturing that consent it's then after that have have you got a system in place which will capture that consent make it auditable so that you can see when the person consented what they consented to and making sure that you've got that auditable trail and then it's about also thinking about your technical measures so what security measures do you have in place do you back up all your personal data then thinking about your physical environment, if you're not working remotely, if you're in an office space, thinking about how your office is set up. I know that open plan is seen as the in thing, but depending on what, what depending on what sort of personal data that you're processing, if you're proce- processing highly sensitive information, then open plan might not be the most suitable for your organisation. And then it's thinking about the governance structures as well within your business. How is personal data governed within your business in terms of do you have different forums to discuss your approach to your data strategy? 
how do you ensure that the highest members within your business, so how do you ensure that your board have visibility of what's going on from a data protection perspective in your organization? It's making sure that there's if there's going to be any issues that the right individuals within the business have good visibility of what's going on. And then what's key to any data protection strategy for me is making sure that you have monitoring in place. So whatever measures that you adopt, making sure, sure that you keep those measures on, under constant review. Because if you don't review those measures, you're not going to be able to assess whether what you have in place is sufficient or whether or not you need to take further steps to make sure that you're, you're adequately protecting the personal data that you're processing. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. All this sort of work from anywhere culture that's come about recently, partly due to the pandemic, is happening just at a time when keeping data secure is even more important. Has, has there been any issues this last year or so where you've had, have you had more, more problems or things to resolve around that? This work from everywhere. Well, no, I think that's a really good point, Jamie. I think that there were there were many stigmas, I would say, around remote working. Are people actually working from home? But I'm sure what businesses will have learned is that people can work from home. But one thing that, that resonates for me is that we went from going to the office pretty much every day of every day of the week to then working via Teams, via Zoom. And obviously, all these platforms collect personal data. They they record calls as well. So they're collecting vast amounts of information, but everything happened at pace. So what we're seeing is that businesses didn't adequately train their teams on how to actually use these platforms, how to set them up properly if they're inviting people from outside of their organizations to start using them. They didn't actually provide adequate training, but understandably, everything happened at pace. COVID came out of nowhere, and then businesses needed to make sure that they could still communicate with each other. So it's almost like it's it's recovery, making sure that teams actually understand how to use all these different communication platforms. So that's what we've been working with businesses on at, at the moment is just understanding how to use all these types of platforms. Yeah, no, I think we're all trying to work it out, aren't we? Um, so you mentioned uh, capturing first-party first part data, and obviously that's essential these days. Um, what are some key requirements to look out for? So, as I mentioned earlier, you have to have a valid lawful basis for processing any personal data. So thinking about that at the outset, there's a tool which as data protection, data protection professionals all use, which is a data protection impact assessment. And in certain instances, they're actually mandatory under the law. So where you're going to be processing any sort of personal data, which is sensitive on a large scale, you'll need to, um, you'll need to conduct a DPIA if there's going to be any sort of restrictions around an individual's access to personal data. Or say, for instance, if you're applying for credit and obviously in, in that circumstance, you, you might not receive that credit. In, in such circumstances, you would want to be conducting DPIAs if you're looking at some sort of credit-based platform. So I would always recommend that you conduct a DPIA, at least a screening checklist, 
to run through a series of questions, just trying to understand what the implications are going to be of the data processing that you're going to be looking at. And I mentioned earlier as well, transparency is also one of the key key factors that you need to ensure that if you're going to be collecting first-party data, you need to be transparent about how you're going to use that information. So that goes back to privacy notices, making sure that you provide privacy notices at the right time. Because, it, again, if you don't, it's, it's unlikely that you're going to be complying with the law. But also, one of the key principles under data protection legislation is you should keep data secure and also implement appropriate security measures. And I would say that that's one of the key things. For any information that you're collecting, you have to make sure that you're storing it securely and that there's going to be controls around who can access that information. But it all flows back to the data subject. So it's making sure that if you're going to be collecting an individual's information, you also have to be able to to adhere to the individual rights. So if they make a subject access request, you need to make sure that you have appropriate organizational measures in place so that they can access their information. Sure. Um, What do digital publishers have to do to ensure their data consent and data handling are compliant with the law? I would say the key thing for media companies and, and, and publishers is that they're transparent around how they're going to be using individuals' personal data. As a business, you want to build trust with individuals. So if you're going to be use, using their personal data, you want to make sure that from the outset that you're clear ex- exactly how you're going to be using that information. And then it's also about adopting a robust data security and data protection strategy because if you don't have that in place, you're more you're going to be more susceptible to data breaches and then that's how you're not going to have trust with your with your customer base. So I'd say for me transparency is a key thing and making sure that you can you can build trust with the individuals that you're serving. Sure. You mentioned tr- transparency a lot. It, it, we, we've all just sort of read those policies and they come up and you click OK and, and, it, and it's without even reading it. I mean, is, are they under any obligation to make sure that people actually read these things or how does that work? There's, there's, no, there's no real obligation. There's no definitive obligation which obliges organisations to ensure that individuals have read privacy notices what you do find is a lot of businesses when individuals are going through a sign-up process they'll not allow individuals to move through to the next stage of their sign-up process without ticking a tick box to say that they've read their privacy information what i would stress to individuals though is that do you read privacy notices you'll be surprised sometimes what they contain inside them. I know that a lot of times people just click click on and click through just to speed up the process of the sign-up process, but I would highly recommend that you two actually read what privacy notices say. Sure. But it sounds like under the GDPR, at least that there needs to be a valid reason, a lawful reason for people to process that data, doesn't there? Yeah, there, there has to be a valid, a valid lawful basis to process any sort of information 
and on the and on the information point as well there's provisions within the UK GDPR which an organization has to provide privacy information to individuals and if you're collecting it directly from them you should be providing that information before you start processing their personal data as well okay finally can you give us one prediction about the future of data privacy I would say that what we'll see in the UK will will probably be different to the rest of the EU. There were data reforms and a consultation within the the UK just recently and the Data Protection and Digital Information Bill was introduced in the House of Commons this summer as well. So this legislation is... You could say, you could almost say it's a watering down of the GDPR, of the UK GDPR, but also you could also say it's just putting it in a different way as opposed to really watering it down. But it'll be interesting to see where that legislation ends up when it's actually enacted. But I would say that I, I do think that within the UK, we'll try to adopt a less stringent approach to the EU. I think what that will actually do is present a lot of issues for UK businesses because they predominantly operate in the EU as well. So I think that there'll be challenges around how you navigate being in the UK and maybe operating in a less stringent data protection environment and then working with individuals in the EU as well. So that'll be interesting. Also in, in America as well, I think that there's going to be more data protection laws within the US, the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, but that's being debated at the moment within the US. So I think that we'll see more data protection laws in the US, which for me is exciting. That gives me, gives me more areas to work in as well. And I think that within the UK will become less stringent, but I think within the EU, it seems as if they're getting even more stringent and more cautious around how personal data is being processed. You might have seen that the French regulator recently deemed Google Analytics to be illegal. Most, a lot of businesses use Google Analytics. So, and for them deeming it to be illegal and you're working within the EU, that makes you start thinking, well, do I need to start looking at a different analytics tool on my on my yeah. uh, website? So I think it's going to be interesting times ahead in the data protection landscape. Yeah, I was going to say these different standards in the US, the EU, and the UK sounds like a nightmare. But 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 for you, for you, there's a lot of opportunity and a lot lot of uh, a lot to work through. Yeah, and it keeps it very interesting. It does keep it very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Ray. It was really, um, really informative and very interesting. Uh, and I hope everybody else found it very interesting as well. Um, and thank you. Thanks for your time, Jamie.